thank you for your word today. Thank you for church. Uh, thank you for the, the stories that we hear um, of your grace and mercy amongst us. And we thank you for, for Dennis being able to lead us today. Um, Lord, we, um, we pray as we hear your word today, we respond. We respond in obedience. We respond in faithfulness. Uh, as using Lord Jesus, your words, we put your words into practice as we hear them. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder, have you ever thought to yourself, uh, what should church actually do? Or maybe you've asked that to other people. What should church actually do? Uh, well, it, well it, we know it's more than, say, it, it's more than selling lamingtons and, uh, and it's more than uh, a community uh, crop swap. See some tasty fruits there. Uh, it's, it's more than a drop-in centre for local teens. Or more than all those things, uh, what should church actually do? If, say, we did some sort of survey, say we did that, and, and uh, I think we'd get a, a, multiple, a multitude of answers, wouldn't we? There's an infinite number of good things that church ought to be doing. And because churches contain as many imperfect people as they contain members, well, there's always a sense that a church is not doing what it could or should. You hear that? So a growing church, I suppose, has to ask a number of, well, has to ask some difficult questions about its, what its priorities should be. That's what a, a growing church needs to ask those questions. Um, a, a, a church that's, that's dwindling, well, has to ask the same questions, but they're, well, they're, they come with a level of frustration and anxiety as they ask those questions. A church that's sort of static and not, and not really growing or shrinking, well, actually, they have to ask the same questions too about what should they actually do. So what sort, of, what sort of questions are we talking about here? Here's the key question, I think. Key question a, a church must ask. What do God's people, gathered by him in a particular place, spend their time and give their energies doing? Say it again. What do God's people, gathered by him in a particular place, spend their time and give their energies doing? In other words, what should church actually do? I think it's a good question. Now, in Acts chapter 2, Luke gives us a picture of the early church. So Jesus has ascended into heaven, uh, just as he promised. The Holy Spirit had come to empower his people, and the impact was dramatic. So this is the longest section that, uh, that Alex read. The word of God was preached. Peter preached the word of God, and more than 3,000 people started following Jesus and they were added to the Christian community. The church grew. And so at the end of the chapter, verses 42 to 47, if you can see that in front of you in your Bibles, we're given this snapshot of church life that developed among these believers. And it shows us the marks of a spirit-filled church. It helps us answer that question, what should church actually do? So, here's the first. You can see them in your outline there. I reckon there are four marks of a healthy church that are mentioned here. Here's the first one. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Learning ought to be the mark of all believers. In fact, it's what disciple means, isn't it? Disciple means you're a learner. 
So when you become a Christian, you begin a lifelong process of learning more from Jesus and about Jesus. Now, the apostles were the group especially authorised by Jesus to pass on his word to the early church. They had met the risen Jesus, and we got a good definition last week, didn't we, of what an apostle was. Uh, but they had met the risen Jesus and had been given the task by him to speak for him. And so their teaching had unique authority. Now, we understand a bit more about this authority when we come to verse 43. Have a look at verse 43 with me. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So these miracles were one of the ways in which their unique authority was confirmed. Now, as we keep going through Acts, we'll read more and more about these miracles. Signs and wonders were one of the ways that marked them as true apostles. That's using the words of Paul, actually, from 2 Corinthians 12. So just like Jesus' miracles attested to his unique authority, well, the same with the miracles of, the, of, the, of these apostles. Uh, there, and it attested to their identity as their teaching also bore the authority of Jesus himself. Now, for us today, well, this teaching is recorded in the pages of the New Testament in our Bibles. Uh, we don't need to worry about not having been there to hear the apostles uh, for ourselves. We have our Bibles in front of us. A sign that the Holy Spirit is at work amongst us, therefore, is that we are, de we are devoted to the apostles, to the teaching of the apostles, I should say, in the Bible. Uh, that's why, you might remember in the Apostles' Creed, we say we believe in the apostolic church, when we say we believe in the apostolic church, we actually say we believe in the apostles of the word of God. That's the same, that's what we're actually saying. So, it's obvious then that a key priority for any church is to spend time learning from the Bible together. That's what we're doing now. Bible's open, learning together. Uh, our preaching needs to be based on it. Uh, our, our songs and hymns, when we get to sing, that's uh, going to come up a bit today, it might be something in my heart, who knows. Um, Whatever we do as a church needs to reflect it. One of the, one of the uh, in all our ministries, I should say, we, we try to implement these five foundations of ministry. And one of them is, uh, is what we call using the tools of God. Now, the tools of God are the Word of God and prayer. And so we're committed to using the Word of God and praying. Uh, we'll get to prayer in a moment. So this also means we as individual followers of Jesus... Well, we need to come to church with an expectation to do what? Well, it's an expectation to learn and to hear God's word and respond. That's what coming to church is. Uh, and excited about doing so too, I'd hope. It's worth noticing that Luke doesn't say the, that the apostles were devoted to teaching. No, no, it says that the church was devoted to listening to their teaching. Do you see the difference? People come, sometimes say that... Um, Oh, that, that church has, has really good teaching. Really, really good teaching. Fantastic. Love it. Really good teaching. Uh, I, I can tell you, friends, that I would much prefer this church, for example, to have a reputation of great learning rather than good teaching. That's far more important. So, one practical way that we can uh, prepare ourselves to learn is to read ahead of what's coming. So, I'll get my little Robo daily life out. Now, unfortunately, this term, this is where Keely will, will kill me, but um, the passages for Robo daily life, so it's week six, no, sorry, it's week five, so the 17th onwards, 
Um, and you can see who we're praying for, by the way. Praying for the Irvines this week. I'm be praying for you guys. Um, and I'll keep going. There's a few more. Uh, so we're reading, reading ahead, but Acts 6 and Acts 7 is actually not what we're doing next week, unfortunately. Um, it's changed since then. But you can still read ahead. What you can do, though, if you look on your, your bulletin, the bottom of your bulletin, it says next week's readings. That's much more accurate. Won't hurt you to read up to chapter 6 and 7 either, but next week we're actually looking at chapter 3. Anyway, that's one, with, one thing you can do to prepare to come to church to be a disciple, to learn. Uh, well, what else could you do? You, you can certainly be praying for your preachers. You should be praying for me. Um, but also praying for ourselves to hear. That's a good, just a good little habit on a Sunday morning when you get up, when you get dressed for church. If you have church clothes, that might remind you. Put your church clothes on. You, you get, you're praying for the, for the preaching of God's word and our response to it. One of the reasons we have a Q&A at the end of each sermon uh, is just to reinforce learning. So if you miss something, and everyone always misses something, don't worry, uh, if you miss something, you can ask about it. Or if you're not, you're not clear about something, or if you have a, a word of encouragement for the church, something really struck you, well, let's reiterate that and let's, let's share it again. In the end, however we express it, a, a good church is to be devoted to learning from God's word. Okay, what, let's, uh, let's look at another one. Uh, the next mark of a healthy, spirit-filled church. I've called it partnership. So it comes out of verse uh, 42. They, were, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the breaking of bread. So not only were they committed to learning, they were committed to one another. Now, of course, that shouldn't really surprise us as it is the apostles' teaching that reminds us all of what binds us together as believers. In fact, one of the signs that a church is drifting from the apostolic gospel is that its fellowship is becoming more and more sort of superficial. Again, going back to one of our foundations of, of our ministries, uh, all the things that we do, the foundation of what we, what we do and serve each other is building healthy relationships. It was number four on our list, if you, if you caught it. Let's pause for a moment, though, and make sure we get a good sense of what the Bible means by fellowship. All right? That it's more than just a mysterious condition that appears when, whenever two Christians encounter one another in the presence of coffee. It's more than that. Um, so, now, the word for fellowship can just as easily be translated partnership. So, it's the same word uh, in the original, in the Greek, that's often referred to two people going into business with each other. So they are conscious that they are partners in the same venture. Common, there's a common goal and they're invested in each other to reach that goal. Partnership, fellowship, it's the same thing. Now we see in this little paragraph that in the early church, we see this partnership in a couple of ways. Here's the first one. They hung out a lot together. Uh, they shared their time. That's the first little gap in your outline if you want to write it in. They shared their time. So verse 44, all the believers were together. Uh, skip down to verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with gladness and sincere hearts. We didn't notice too that this was the Pentecost festival. So remember that was 50 days um, after... Uh, mental blank for a minute, going off my notes, always dangerous. Um, Passover, so 50 days after Passover. Anyway, it was like, it's like school holidays. 
That's what it sort of is. Uh, people have a bit of free time and they were able to meet together on a daily basis. But following that, or, or I suppose after, after, at some point, normal life would have returned. So back to jobs, back to responsibilities, probably back to their home, their, their homes which weren't in Jerusalem. So they weren't able to meet probably every day after that. But actually it doesn't really say, so maybe, well maybe they did, I don't know. But it's worth keeping in mind. But what we do see here is it does show that their instinct as believers was to spend time together. So their attitude was more how much time can we spend together rather than how much time must we spend together. So they broke bread together. That just means they ate meals together uh, as they shared their lives. Uh, friends, it is a good thing. It's a very good thing to... Uh, and yes, yeah, sometimes it's a little bit tiring, I admit. But it's a good thing to have people from church around for a meal. It's a good thing to do. The point is, though, fellowship is not just 20 minutes after church on a Sunday or until Michelle Holmes' cheesecake runs out, whatever it might be first. Um, it's not just that. Now, I, I, know, uh, I know some of us will find this being together idea, some of us will find that quite hard. Um, some of us find it easier than others. Uh, some of us love being in a crowded room. Um, we get energy off that. Uh, I'm a little bit like that. I like being in a crowded room. I can see some faces already. But some of us don't. Uh, some of us find that incredibly draining. Either way, that's okay. It's okay. Remember, the church is a body and it's made up of different parts. So the church needs the person that you are. But equally, we also need to be people who work hard at this and who are willing to step out of our comfort zones to spend time together. So for an extrovert, if you're a bit of an extrovert, well, uh, that'll mean learning to listen well. For an introvert, well, that may mean diving into conversations that we don't really feel we have the energy for, but for the sake of others, we do. Uh, fellowship, these partnerships, can be hard work, but they're worth it. All right, let's see this other, uh, other way uh, we see this partnership or fellowship working out. So not only did they share their time, well, they shared their possessions. Look at verse 44, they had everything in common. Now, that's not to say they weren't allowed to have anything of their own. Um, we see later on that homes and that people owned homes and possessions and that sort of thing. But what we have here is a radical generosity. That's what we have. They were eager to share, to make, their, make sure the needs of everyone were met, even to the extent of... Uh, there's a guy called Joseph of, from Cyprus in Acts chapter 4. Now, Joseph from Cyprus sold his home to give to the church. Uh, radical generosity. I don't know if you've been around, if you've been around for a church, church for a while or churches for a while. Um, I hope you've seen this type of generosity. So I've seen uh, people give cars to people who needed them. I've seen people pay for people's holidays uh, when they couldn't afford one. Uh, giving people free accommodation or very cheap rent because the need arose. Uh, giving lifts, cooking meals, uh, providing people for people in need. But the reality is sometimes it's, it's a little bit different. We live in a culture that prizes material possessions. 
And so this type of generosity clashes with that, doesn't it? And we're not immune to that challenge. So we need to keep remembering the words of Jesus. He said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart be also. Radical generosity. It's part of God's church. Okay, how about this third mark of a healthy church? I wonder if you can spot it. Uh, I've called it, well, I've just called it worship. This church in Acts 2 enjoyed making much of God. Uh, So they prayed, they prayed a lot. They were devoted to prayer, verse 42 tells us. So they prayed whenever they were together. They prayed for guidance, they prayed following persecution, they prayed in the middle of the night, they prayed over coffee, over beer or whatever it was, they prayed. Uh, Praying was no chore or duty or obligation. Their habit of prayer was instead uh, a mark of a church, well, touched by the Holy Spirit. So praying with others out loud, I don't know how you feel about that, sometimes people find it really hard. Uh, I suspect a lot of people find it hard. Sometimes it's, it's, it's awkward. Yeah, sometimes it's, it's, well, it's not always well-led. Um, but praying with others, as we've already seen, might be hard work, but it's vital work. We've got to do it. It's a good thing to do. We need to pray with our church family. Uh, now, we also see this worship in their praise of God. So they, they, verse 46, they broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. What does it mean to praise someone? Well, to praise someone means that you speak well of them. That's right, isn't it? So it comes naturally whenever we come across something that we love and gives us joy. Uh, A a great movie, you can't stop raving about it. Great concert you went to, whatever it might be. Um, A holiday spot. I like raving about my particular holiday spots. Uh, Perhaps something our, our kids have done or our grandkids have done. We speak highly of them that's that's what it means to praise someone or something so we praise heaps of things but above all this church what do they do they praise God and they did it with joyful and sincere hearts a joy marked their gatherings and life together no doubt they would have sung together uh, not just anything of course but words that remind them and teach them the promises of God they would have sung scripture I'd say probably sung put words well put Uh, tunes and and melodies to psalms, like a lot of our modern-day songwriters do today. Singing of the promises of God. God has always given his people good reason to sing. (sighs) And we miss it now, don't we? I miss it. I was belting away. Jono, you'd gone home by this point. So I'd curly. Belting away in my office on Friday afternoon, you know, turning it up loud, singing up. That's that's all we've got these days, isn't it? Um, But yeah, we miss it. We do miss it. We miss that encouragement, we miss that joy uh, to, to sing together. It's just not the same as sitting in your office singing to loud music. Good though, I think. Maybe you've done it in your car. I, do, I sing in my car sometimes as well. But it's not the same as being together and singing. Anyway. So they praise God with glad and sincere hearts. Uh, it's part of their, as part of their worship as part of, and, and prayer is part of that as well. How about the last one? Growth. 
Growth was a characteristic of the early church. See verse 47? And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So what we read here though, from the get-go, Luke reminds us that it's God who does the growing. Uh, The Lord added to their number. It's worth pausing there for a moment just as a word of encouragement to to remember two phrases that I learnt when I was about 16, a pretty young Christian or 17 maybe. One is, relax and be faithful. Right? Relax and be faithful. Who does the growing? God does the growing and the Lord added to their number. Relax and be faithful. The other one is, the power is in the message and not the messenger. Relax and be faithful. It's the Lord who adds to their number. You notice that Luke doesn't mention evangelism, um, but it's clear that the early church did share the gospel with their friends and neighbours and whoever else. But I suspect too, in Luke 47, Luke's point is that any church like the one he's just been describing, well, any church like that will grow. Uh, Devotion to the teaching of the apostles, God's word, real partnerships with one another, heartfelt praise and worship of God together will produce a community deeply compelling to a watching world. Uh, It's a church that God will tend to grow. Such a church will have a hunger to grow. They they have a burden for the lost. Uh, They know that there's no better news than the gospel. I just can't help not to share it. Peter, who preached in chapter 2, where over 3,000 were saved, said this about the church of God. He said that the church of God, I've got it all up here, they exist to declare, speak of the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light, that they must live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And they should always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. So what a healthy church does, a good church does, is well, they, they'll be thinking about how we can declare God's praises to our community. And not only in our meetings, but also out and about in the community. And we'll encourage each other as we do that. That's what the, that's what the partnerships are. And so we're not just talking about sharing the gospel with our neighbours. Well, as God's witness, we ought to do all we can for the prosperity of the city that we live in, to quote Jeremiah 29. Um, verse 7, do all we can. So not only display and declare the gospel in how we treat each other, but also in how to treat those who live around us. So there's our four aspects of, well, a spirit-filled church, we can call it that, what makes a good church, uh, learning, partnership, worship and growth. Friends, all churches are different. Uh, Services are held at different times, different styles, different, uh, well, there are big churches and smaller churches, but all Christian churches will have these things in common. And they're not just for leaders, they're for all believers. Teaching the Word of God, partnership, worship, growth. So this makes being church and doing church both very simple and actually very hard. It's simple because when we look at those things, well, they're not difficult to understand, are they? But they're hard because it's far easier to stay at home or to 
join a tennis club or to go camping or to go out to brunch. They're, they're things that we can dip in and out of, aren't they? Depending on our mood and circumstances. It's far easier to do those types of things than to be a biblical church. I don't imagine the early Christians always found being part of the church convenient. Uh, it was rarely cost-free, especially when persecution started up. Uh, friends, there's no doubt church is different right now. No doubt about that. It's different, isn't it? We feel that. I feel it. Uh, dare I say, calling a spade a spade. Um, church, some people find it a bit hard at the moment. It's, it's okay. Well, I suppose we're, used, we're missing the things that we're used to and we're missing the things that, some of the things that we enjoy. And I think it's okay to acknowledge that. It's okay. There's no doubt it makes other Sunday activities, well, a whole lot more attractive, easier. I also don't imagine that this early church found uh, gathering together dull or dutiful, though. I reckon, they must, I reckon it must have been thrilling to watch their friends and neighbours being added to their number, those who are being saved. I reckon it must have been a thrill to see their brothers and sisters in Christ learn and grow in their love for Jesus as they responded to God's word being taught. Uh, great learning, far better than good teaching. And I reckon it must have been a thrill for them to pray together, to, to speak together to the God of the universe who created all things. What a thrill that must have been. And I reckon it must have been a great joy for them to partner together not just in friendships over a flat white, uh, but partnerships, sharing the one spirit together, the one saviour, the, the same venture, the same goal. I reckon that's pretty exciting. I hope you do too. <laughs> How about we pray and um, we'll have a time for uh, questions or comments and uh, then I want to uh, share a couple of other things with you as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, um, uh, the, your words today to us. Lord, we think about what, and think about that, that question of, of what it means to be part of a good church. And um, Lord, we've got a, a picture today that we've seen in these, thing, in these things in front of us. Lord, we pray that you continue to use the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians and, and also in, in Acts. You'd, you'd fill us with your spirit as we gather together. And as we serve you and your people and this community we live in, we do thank you for church. We thank you that we can gather together. It is such a privilege to do that. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.